Welcome to Walking in Faith with Pastor Rob Currington. This podcast is dedicated to helping develop lifelong seekers of the kingdom of God. Each week, Pastor Rob helps bring God's message for living to those seeking a richer and more Christ-filled life. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he shares this week's message. Matthew chapter 24. The chapter began with the disciples or with Jesus' statement about the temple being destroyed, which prompted the disciples to ask Jesus a question of when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming in the close of the age. Now last week Jesus answered the disciples' questions of when will the temple be destroyed, what's the sign? And we saw last week that that happened in AD 70. In AD 70, Jerusalem fell. The walls of the temple were destroyed and we see that Judaism for the most part no longer had temple worship or temple sacrifice. There was judgment because they did not obey God, and God judged the nation of Israel just as it had in 167 B.C. with Antiochus, and in the 536 B.C. with Nebuchadnezzar. And so what we see is what happened before happens again. Now this week, Jesus continues his answer of when the close of the age approaches, and when he comes in glory. So let me give this with a caveat. This passage here is not speaking of the rapture. We have not been speaking of the rapture at all these past few weeks. The rapture is not the issue here. They did not ask when a secret coming is. In other words, Jesus really didn't teach much on that. That's a doctrine that we receive more through Paul's letters than in Jesus' teaching. So the rapture is not the issue here in this path, but the coming of Christ that time when Christ would come and he would set up his kingdom. Jesus is pronouncing that he's the Messiah, so it's very natural for them to assume, since he is now accepting the title Messiah, he's saying that he is the Christ, he is assuming authority over Jerusalem and over the temple, which we saw over the past few weeks, then it must be natural then that Jesus must be setting up his kingdom. But yet we saw that Jesus is trying to teach him here, is that there's going to be an unexpected delay. The second coming of Christ, of the Messiah, is a time when he will come and bring judgment on those that have rejected him and his rule and his kingdom and bring reward for those that have embraced his kingdom. The Jews thought that was happening as one event. However, we have the benefit of looking back in time and seeing that even though in Scripture, as you read the Old Testament, it seems to be a one-time event, we now know that it's actually two separate events. In other words, Jesus was coming once to offer himself for the sacrifice of sin. He's coming a second time to judge and reward. So that's where we find Jesus coming, and he's trying to teach his disciples that there's going to be an unexpected delay in setting up the kingdom in judgment and wrath, and reward. So with it, that's where we find ourselves in Matthew chapter 24. So last week we read about all the birth pains. Remember that, that whole imagery that he's trying to say, that the close of the age is like woman giving birth, that there will be pains that she will be experiencing. It doesn't mean that it's time for the child to, to be born, 
but it's a sign of it. And we saw some of the signs was war and conflict, lack of peace, of famines, of natural disasters. Remember, we saw that in verses 3 through 14. We saw that all these things, he says, these are always going to be with you. They're signs that it's coming, but it's, it's not the sign that it is at time. But then he goes and says, but there will be one great sharp pain. And ladies, you might remember that is, is when that time comes, you know, they put that little belt around you and they tell you the intensity of the pain. Now, you don't really need to know that, have that belt to really tell. Once a woman starts screaming, you can tell when it's becoming more intense. But he says there's going to be an intense pain at about three and a half years into it. And we find that from other portions of scripture. At about three and a half years of close of the age is you're going to see a sharp pain. And it's going to be like the fall of Jerusalem. And that we saw last week. Today he goes on and speaks a little bit more. So for us looking back, that was a past event. But as we see, look at verse 21. We're going to read 21 and then get to our main passage. In verse 21, he says, For then there will be great tribulation, such as had not been from before beginning of the world until now, no and never will be. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your word. Help us now to read with understanding. Lord, be with me as I speak. Let me be clear. Let me speak your word, not my own opinion. Let it come with strength, not from my persuasion, but from the persuasion of your Holy Spirit, Lord, who is now at work in the hearts of all who sit here. Lord, clear our minds from the distractions. Lord, I pray that you would just keep things calm as far as just the natural things going around. And Lord, let us glorify you. And all God's people said, Amen. And I pray that you come ready to listen and ready to hear what God has for us. He says, Now from then on there will be great tribulation that has not been from the beginning of the world until now, no, never will be. So in other words, we can tell then that this must also speak of a greater event. You see, the great tribulation is even more horrific fulfillment than the destruction of Jerusalem. And you might remember last week, there was over 1.1 million people who died in Jerusalem in 70 AD. The famine was so bad, it was like a four to six month time in which the city was shut up and Titus would let no one go in that women began to kill their own children and to eat them as a food source. The famine was so bad. You have to remember at this time in Jerusalem when this was happening, there were more Jews in Jerusalem than normal because it was the time of the Passover. It was a time of a feast. So he was letting them in, but he wasn't letting them out. And it wasn't so much the Romans who burnt it rather than the zealots who were inside who did not want the Romans to have anything in it. So as horrific as that event was, Jesus is saying here that there is going to be something greater and more horrific than that. Now, there's been a lot of horrific events. I mean, Hitler himself killed more Jews than, than the Romans did at that time. Stalin has killed more people than they did at that time. But never in such a time was a whole people displaced and their whole culture destroyed and dispersed around the world than at that time. See, Jesus is pointing to an even greater time of judgment that has not yet arrived. 
So for the readers of Matthew, they were looking forward to an event. We are looking back at an event, realizing that something is coming greater than that. The disciples and early readers of Matthew were warned with a reference to the past destruction of Jerusalem by the Babylonians and the Greeks. While today, we are warned with a reference to the past destruction of Jerusalem by the Romans. Hence, I think it's a good thing for us to know the history. History is good. It tells us what went on before. In other words, what Jesus is saying is what has happened once before will happen once again. What's that old quote? If we don't know history, we're doomed to repeat it. Well, John MacArthur in his Bible commentary, he writes that the tribulation... He says the tribulation of that time was terrible and there was a tribulation and it lasted almost seven years from 66 AD to 73 AD. Jerusalem was destroyed in 70, but it continued on for another three years. And not only that, but there was another uprising in 135 in which the Jews were totally dispersed from the land and Jerusalem destroyed. They made one more go at it in 135 AD. But what we see here, he says, there's a tribulation that's coming. And John MacArthur states that the tribulation is a seven-year period when the righteous judgments of God will be poured out upon an unbelieving world. The tribulation is described in Revelation chapter 6 to verse chapter 19, verse 21, with the great tribulation described in Revelation chapter 7. The tribulation is described as a time of great war, political unrest, economic disasters with over a quarter of the population of the earth killed by war, by famine, sickness, and wild beast. It will be a time marked with untold number of martyrs and extraordinary natural disasters. And I want you to get an understanding of this because I believe it's important. Jesus spoke of it. I'd like for you to turn to the book of Revelation. It's the last book in your Bible. And what we're going to do is I'm going to ask you to turn to Revelation chapter 16. And what we're going to do is we're going to do a little bit of spot reading. We're not going to read all the chapter. In chapter 16, we see the wrath of God that's poured out during this last three and a half years. It's good for us to get a glimpse of what Scripture says. Revelation chapter 16, verse 1, Then I heard a loud voice from the temple telling the seven angels, go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. So verse two, so the first angel went and poured out his bowl on the earth and harmful and painful sores came upon the people who bore the mark of the beast and worshiped the image. The second poured out his bowl into the sea and it became like the blood of the corpse and every living thing that was in the sea died. The third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and springs of the river. So we're talking about lakes, not salt, now the unsalted, the fresh springs. And they became blood. Look at verse 8. The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and it was allowed to scorch the people with fire. They were scorched by the fierce heat, and they cursed the name of God, who had power over these plagues. But they did not repent and give glory. You can see here the portion of Scripture where he says that their hearts were cold. Verse 10. The fifth angel poured out his bowl, and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. People gawed their tongues in anguish and cursed God of heaven for the pains and the sores. Verse 12, the sixth angel poured his bowl on the great river Euphrates and its waters was dried up to prepare for the king of the east. And go on to verse 17. And the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air and a loud voice came out of the temple and said, it was done. 
And there were flashes of lightning, rumblings. The great city was split into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. And God remembered Babylon the great to make her drain the cup of the wine of the fury and wrath of God. I'm reminded of a verse that says how awful it is to be into the hands of an angry God. This is not a great time. This is it. There will be a time of judgment. Jeremiah prophesied of this in Jeremiah chapter 30, where he says the day is so great that there is none like it. It is a time of distress for Jacob or Israel, yet he shall be saved out of it. According to scripture, the tribulation will last seven years with the Antichrist proclaiming and making peace in the beginning. Yet increasingly, he makes war with God's people, the elect. And after three and a half years, God increases his judgment on the world with greater disasters, which is called the Great Tribulation. Daniel chapter 9, verse 27 is where we get this information. Daniel was a prophet who wrote during the first destruction of Jerusalem. And then he says, and he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week, meaning seven years. And for half the week, or for three and a half years, he shall put it into sacrifice and offerings. In other words, he will cut off the temple worship. And on the wing of abominations shall come one who makes desolate. Jesus points to that in verse 15 of Matthew 24. And until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. So let me tell you, Jesus here is saying, at the close of the age, you will know what's going on because there will be a tribulation. There will be some constant things, but then there will be a great pain. And that great pain will signal that there is a greater tribulation coming. The first three and a half years may seem like a cakewalk. Things are going on. Peace, peace, they say. There may be some trouble. But when you see that sharp pain, know it says that that time is coming that is greater than any other. Now, if we read about that, I would kind of get depressed. But what we see that there will be some Christians during this time. As Jesus gives this, obviously the disciples, most of them, were not there in 70 AD when that happened. The majority of them were martyred before that, other than the Apostle John. But as we point to a greater time, He's saying, you need to be aware of these things. You need to know that my coming is here. Even though I'm going to heaven now, even though my death is certain and is coming soon and I will be resurrected, I will come again. I will judge. In other words, sometimes we think that we get away with our sins. Sometimes we think we can get away with just shaking our fist in God and says, I'll do whatever I want. I don't care what you say. God says judgment is coming, not only to the house of Israel, but to all those that reject his rule. So I want to challenge you today. Have you embraced the rule of the Savior, or have you rejected it? Or have you said, well, I want to embrace it, but you know what? I still want to do things my way. I'm sorry if you've done that, you haven't embraced. I was reading a story today. Uh, real quickly before service, and it's about a man in Wales. And there was a man, what he would do is he would, every Saturday night, he was, it was his drunken night. He would drink and drink and drink, and, you know, he'd get drunk, and then on Sunday morning, he'd show up for church. And the pastor knew this and just didn't know what to do with the man, and, but just kept preaching, kept trying to be faithful. 
And there was this one particular night when he started to preach and the man came in and he could tell that the man was being stirred. There, his emotions were being engaged and, he, and, and you could see that something different was going on and the pastor, as his habit was, was to go back at the end and, and shake hands just kind of like I do and, 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 and welcome people or say goodbye. And, and as he saw this man coming, he, he started to say, wow, I could tell that, that there was tears in his eyes and I could see that there was some emotional turmoil and, and I was, I was kind of conflicted with to do? Should I stop him and just say, hey, can I pray with you? Can, is there anything that I could do for you? Do you want to make a decision or, or should I just kind of let the spirit? In other words, he wasn't quite sure if he should break him down right then or, or just let the spirit come and let the man have that time. Well, he finally just did what many of us do. He just kind of let the man go and shook his hand and the man was still kind of teary-eyed, and, but he didn't say anything to the pastor. He just went ahead and left. Well, providence as it is, the next day on a Monday, the pastor and him wound up finding each other the next day, running into each other. And the pastor says, you know, I, I need to apologize. Yesterday I saw you really in turmoil. I saw that you were emotionally engaged with the message and I could see that it made a difference to you. And the man said, yes, I tell you what, if you would have stopped me at that door, pastor, I would have gave my heart to God. I was that close. I was ready. Of course, the pastor was excited and says, well, I tell you what, there's nothing to stop us today. Would you do that? And he goes, well, pastor, I don't want to today. I was ready last night, but you know, now that I had some time to think about it. Took the pastor back a little bit and he finally said, you know what? If the decision you made last night could not even last 24 hours, you have not yet ready come to Christ. There's no repentance. You just have emotional turmoil. And I think that's what happens to us. You know, we as pastors, we want to get you engaged emotionally, and we try to do that, and we do these things. Come to the altar, come to the altar. We're going to sing a hundred times till someone finally says, that's it, I'm going down, I'll get saved again, just so he'll stop that song. But there comes a time when we have to realize is that that's not what God has called us. We all make decisions, say, oh, I'm ready to serve God, but when the light of day comes, all of a sudden we realize, well, you know what, I don't really want to embrace God. I feel a little bit better. My guilt and my shame... I've dealt with it. I'm okay with it. It's not as bad as it was yesterday. That's not embracing the cross of Jesus Christ. That is not being part of the kingdom. Embracing God's rule and kingdom in your heart is a lifelong decision in which He comes and indwells in your heart and your desire does not fade but grows with time. Jesus gives us some words of encouragement, but also some words of warning. And that's where I believe that we need to spend the majority of our time this morning. Suffice it to say is that the tribulation and the great tribulation is going to be an awful, terrible time. I do not want to live through it, neither do you. It will be a time of total wrath of God pouring out his anger. And I tell you what, I don't want to be on God's bad side. I don't want to be in the end of his judgments. But he begins here in verse 23, he begins some words of warning and encouragement. First off, let's look at verse 23. He goes on to say, then, when you see that destruction coming, he goes, those days that might not cut short, no human being would be saved, but for the elect's sake, those days would be cut short. In other words, it will be so bad that if I don't stay my hand, all creatures would die. But he says, but for the Christians, I will stay my hand and not power out my judgment. In other words, not everyone will die. 
That's what he says there, but he goes on then, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. Here's a word of warning. Here's the word of warning. Do not be deceived by spectacular signs and wonders. Do not be deceived by spectacular signs and wonders. Very soon after 70 AD, and even during that time, all of a sudden there came up people who said, Oh, I'm the Messiah, I'm the Christ. And they were able to do great and wondrous things that many of the people started to follow them. And in 1 John, he speaks of that. He says, don't go follow that. Don't go look where that man is. Even in our days, have we not had men who said they're Messiah? Jim Jones, David Koresh. You know, there's so many people. I'm the Messiah. I'm the one. Jesus is saying here, be careful. Do not be deceived by those people. Take your Bibles and turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. So a word of warning, do not be deceived by spectacular signs and miracles. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, look at verse 7. For the mystery, speaking of that time, for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. So in that time, Paul's writing, he's saying the spirit of lawlessness, the one who has set himself up against Christ, is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. Verse 8. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. Speaking of his second coming. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders. And with all the wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth, and to be so be saved. Therefore God sends them a strong delusion, so that they may believe what is false, in order that all may be condemned who do not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. In other words, be careful out there. There will be people who will come and say that they are in the Father's name. They'll proclaim to be Messiah. They'll claim to be Christ, and yet they will do supernatural things, maybe even mimic and imitate some of the things that I have done. But he says, do not believe it. Don't be deceived by spectacular signs and miracles. Take your Bibles very quickly and turn to 1 John. 1 John chapter 4. There's something we need to understand in 1 John chapter 1, 4, 1 through 6. Christians are not to believe and trust the lies of imposters. We're not to believe and trust the lies of imposters, but he says we're to test the spirits and the works of those claiming to do God's bidding. 1 John chapter 4. He says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God for many false prophets have gone out into the world. They have always been with us. Look at verse 2. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus is not from God, 
This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world today or already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. In other words, Christians will know the difference. And he says we need to test those things. And I'm telling you, even though this were not maybe in the great tribulation now, this still is in effect today because we have many people that are being deceived by spectacular signs and miracles that are not from God. Amen? Let me tell you, there are people who are using God's word for their own benefit, for their own way of raising money, for their own fame, and they do such wonderful things, and we're drawn to that. Let me tell you, God says, test the spirits. See if it be true. For he has given us the spirit to discern between it. Let me tell you, we need to develop that type of skill of understanding in our spiritual lives. Because God says that he will send a strong delusion. They will not be able to tell the difference. And so there's a warning, let me tell you. You know, I remember one time a friend was reading the Left Behind books. And that is not from me an endorsement, by the way. But he was reading those books. And I said, well, how are you enjoying it? He says, I never wanted to be involved in such a thing as I want to be involved in something like that. In other words, he wants to be there during that tribulation and be in that resistance group fighting the Antichrist. And we romanticize it. But let me tell you what he's saying here is that we need to warn our friends. If you don't trust Jesus now, there's a good chance that you will not trust him later. In other words, the day of salvation is when? Now. It's today. Don't say, well, since I had the Bible, I'll be able to tell the difference. Because you're not able to do so now. Because what you're saying is, oh, you know who God is, but you refuse and reject him. And you'll wait until things get really, really bad. I'm sorry, my friend. You'll go hook, line, and sinker, following him like a catfish caught in a pole, ready to be yanked out and filleted. It says, do not be deceived. But he also gives us a word of encouragement. He gives us a word of encouragement in that portion of Scripture. In other words, Christians will be protected. He says, they will rise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. What we're finding here is God is going to protect his children. It is impossible to fool them. And so we need to come to that. The elect are those Christians. You say, well, who's the elect? We've seen it here. Now, the elect, right we see here, is the first time it's used in the book of Matthew. And I'm not going to go into a discourse on it, but the elect are the chosen of God, whether it's the children of Israel or whether it's the church. They are the elect of God. It's those that have embraced the kingdom of God, those that have repented of their sin and put their trust in Christ. And what we see during this great time of tribulation, that there will be an elect there. There will be those that are following Christ boldly. And he says, I need to give you a word of encouragement. In Daniel chapter 12, verse 1, speaking of that time of tribulation, there's a promise. 
And the Jews of that time would hold on and would know this promise because they knew their Old Testament. In Daniel chapter 12, it says, At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince who has charge over your people, speaking of an archangel. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never been since there was a nation until that time. Once again, speaking of how terrible the time will be. But listen to this. But at that time, your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book of life. What do we find? Is that God has said that he will protect his people. Now I want to say this though. God has not said that he'll protect you from suffering. God has not said he'll protect you from being persecuted. Because there are Christians around the world today who are giving their life, who are living through a tribulation that you and I could not fathom. There are people today who are being tortured because they claim Christ. Churches are being burned. Pastors are losing their family. One of our missionaries, they're in, they are in Morocco. All of their friends, the Christians, are being expelled from Morocco. They had to leave, and it looks like they will not be allowed back into the country that God has called them to. Why? Because all of a sudden, the Muslims have rose up and said, we will not have Christians here. Egypt, one of the oldest churches in Christendom, the Coptics, the Ethiopian Christians, are finding themselves under tax. Same way in Egypt, the Coptics there are finding their religion. They've been in that religion longer than Muslims, but now they're finding themselves being burned out and persecuted. Statistics have told us that there have been more martyrs in the last hundred years than of all in history combined. See, some are going through great tribulation already. So as, as that old song, God hasn't promised you a rose garden. He hasn't promised that you will not die for your faith. He has not promised that you will not suffer persecution or ridicule. But he has said that during those times, I will protect you and hold you. You can trust in me. God says God's people know his voice. God says, I will make sure that you will not be deceived by the imposters. Take your Bibles very quickly and turn to John chapter 10. In 1 John, we saw that the reality of Antichrist already being in his time in the first century A.D. And now we see here, though, that God says, the rest of the world will be deceived, but my people will not. Why? He says, I will protect my people. In John chapter 10, look at 1 verse 5. 1 through 5, truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. We're speaking there of an imposter, of one who's deceitful. Verse 2, but he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the sheep, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name. And leads them out. Look at though, verse 4. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, 
but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of a stranger. What am I telling you here? God says he'll protect us from the deceit. So how do he does that? He does that by the word of God. Let me tell you, if you're here today, and I, sometimes I'll hear uh, people speak of a, of a writer, of a pastor, and sometimes I want to cringe and I just want to tell them, you need to run from those people. Those people are in error. I don't like to call and name them out here uh, too much, but someone who's telling you that you can have health, wealth, and prosperity, just sow a seed, that's all you got to do, and God wants you to have all the money in the world, that is a lie. And if you are a Christian, you should recognize that that is not the voice of the shepherd. Someone who tells you that life will always be perfect and great is not the voice of a true shepherd. But does that mean that God doesn't want us to be healthy and God doesn't want us to have wealth? God does bless that. And I'll tell you what, I hope he blesses us more with people like that. But yet God hasn't promised that to everyone. There are people that are out there that are sharing things that are unbiblical. I was just reading one where a pastor is teaching that there is no hell. That God will not send anyone to hell. That everyone will go to heaven, even the demons. Satan himself will get a last chance. But yet there's people that are buying that. Why? Because to be honest, it's easier to accept that. I'm human. Do I want anyone to go to hell? No. The Bible says those that are his sheep know his voice and they will not be deceived because God will protect them. In other words, they have the spiritual ears. And I want to encourage you today, you need to have those types of spiritual ears. We also see that God's people are safely in his hand. You're already at John chapter 10. Look down to verse 27. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life. And they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. That verse needs an amen. Because what he's saying here, to those that have embraced his kingdom, they shall never perish. No one, no one will ever be able to take them out of the Father's hands or out of Christ's hand. Jesus says, the Father has given to me, the Father will keep them. And you'll say, well, I could tell you it. I can change my mind. The Bible says that no one can snatch. If you're one of God's, even you yourself cannot snatch yourself out of God's hand. Like a loving father and a loving shepherd, he holds on to those sheep, on to those chickens, so to speak, who even want to jump out of his hand at times. He says, no, no, no. Let me tell you. That God is protecting those that are His. Let me tell you, that's not saying that once you're saved, you're always saved. I think that's a wrong phrase. We probably need to throw that phrase out of our language box. In other words, what once saved, always saved says, well, once if I say a prayer, then that means I can live any way that I want, and then as long as I die, I'm okay, right? I got my fire insurance card. No. That's not what scripture says. Because many times, like the story I told, one day we were all ready to embrace God where our guilt, our shame just throws us to the floor and we want to make a change, but yet the next day 
A week later, three months later, a year down, there's no difference. So some of you here today might think, well, I said a prayer once, or I believe in God. That's not enough. The Father says, I give to my Son those who are mine, and no one ever will snatch them out of my hand. So here's what I want to be. That drives me to the point. It says, Father, choose me. Give me to your Son. That ought to be your prayer. Father, let me embrace your kingdom. Change my heart. Let me choose you as you've chosen me. See, God's people are safely in his hand. Even during this time of great tribulation, he will protect his children. Now he also then gives a promise with a proverb in verse 25. Go back to Matthew chapter 24. As Jesus ends this portion of 24 through 28 of the great tribulation, he says, See, I have told you beforehand. So if they say to you, Look, he is in the wilderness, do not go out. If they say, look, he is in their inner room, do not believe it. In other words, I've already told you false prophets and they're coming. Don't believe these things. But verse 27, for as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. What is he telling us? He's giving us a promise with a proverb. He's saying Christ's second coming. When Jesus comes again, it's not a secretive and select for a few. In other words, it's not going to be a secret. It's not just going to be a select few that are hiding somewhere. And that's usually your, your greatest bit. Already we've got people who are saying Jesus is coming on May 21st, uh, 2011. So what do they do? They sell everything. They go into some little cabin. Uh, what was that, uh, that one group uh, several years ago when Haley's Comet was coming around? The Messiah is coming, the end of the world, let's all go in our bunker. He's not there. His second coming is not going to come to just a little place, a little huddle off in the words. In other words, he's saying it's not some secret little place that no one knows, just to a select few. Christ's second coming, when he comes with judgment, with his wrath, is going to be visible and recognizable events. Just as the lightning, it says, comes, shines in the east, it shows throughout the whole sky. Now, you guys probably don't see lightning here as much as you see it in some places. And I don't know if you've ever been to a point where you see lightning and it seems to light up the whole sky. And obviously, it's not everywhere. It has a point of origin, but it's so bright and it's so far-reaching that it seems to just take the whole sky as far as you can see. You're going to see it and you recognize it. When I see the sky light up that, even before I hear the thunder, I know that there's a lightning storm there. And that gives us the proverb of the vultures. You're going to see it. You're going to recognize it for what it is. If you're out in the desert and you see vultures circling around, what is that telling you? Death is somewhere nearby. Death is somewhere. So he says, just as you can see that, know this. What is Jesus saying? When you see this abomination, when you see that sharp pain, when you see this tribulation, when you see it increasing, when Jesus comes, you will know it. You will not be surprised by it in the fact that you say, oh, what was that? Jesus came once before, meek, like a lamb. His second coming that we're going to look at next week comes with power and majesty and there will not be a thing. What happened? What's going on? 
Next week, we'll look a little bit more at his second coming. That God's telling us that there's going to be a great tribulation. And in it, he will be able to deceive many. Be a God will protect those who embrace his kingdom. So until that time, what should you and I do? What should you and I be doing until that great and terrible time if we're there? Well, take your Bible and turn to Acts chapter 1. I'd like to close out with what we, you and I should be doing. Acts chapter 1, the disciples once again asked the question about Christ's second coming, about setting up his kingdom. It's found in Acts chapter 1, verse 6. So when they had come together, this was after Jesus had rose from the dead. He had spent 40 days with his disciples, teaching them, sharing with them through the Old Testament, how it speaks of them. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time now restore the kingdom in Israel? Again, remember the disciples were just all one-minded about the kingdom of Israel. But he said to them in verse 7, It's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and on Judea and Samaria and to the other ends of the earth. And when he said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up in the heavens? This Jesus who was taken up from you to heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into the heavens. Jesus says, I'm coming back. But until that time, I've given you power to be witnesses to me. So what are you and I to be doing? We're to be sharing our faith. But what it is, is you and I should be sharing with others. Listen, there is a judgment coming. Let me share with you what Christ has come to do. Not only has he come to get forgiveness for sin, but he's also come to give me his perfect obedience and his righteousness. I don't live a perfect life now, but I live crucified unto him. And let me tell you, if you don't embrace his kingdom today, there will be no tomorrow for you. There will be a strong delusion. There is a tribulation that none of us will miss or escape because his wrath will be poured down. You and I need to be in the business of making disciples, of fulfilling the commission that Christ gave his disciples. One day I will return and I will restore my kingdom on earth, but until then, be witnesses for me throughout the world. So I ask you today, let's get busy. Jesus will come again. It will be a visible event. It will be something that all will see. And when he comes, it will be with power and judgment. So join me today. Let's be witnesses to what Christ has done in our life. Let's encourage others to embrace the kingdom. We hope you have enjoyed this week's Walking in Faith podcast. We encourage you to share this podcast with others in order to help spread God's message to all those in need. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Email us at walkinginfaith@orangevilla.org. You can help us spread this podcast by writing a review at iTunes. And don't forget to visit us online at orangevilla.org. There you will find more information about our ministry, as well as share your thoughts, submit prayer requests, and find out how you can help others to grow in God's love. Until next week, may God bless you in everything you do.